0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened, your tray table is in an upright and locked position, and that you are ready to get weird and think different. Please prepare for takeoff. Is Wednesday. It is February tenth, and we're back with another episode of Destination Different. I'm I'm jacked up this week. I'm absolutely jacked up. First things first. I was doing a little mental math, a little calculations this past weekend. And I've always said I'm gonna try and be transparent, open, honest about growing this podcast, about how it's going, etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So over the weekend, Destination Different officially hit 4,000 total plays in its, in its existence, in its year and five months or so, whatever it ends up being. I did some, did some calculating. The first 2,000 listens took nearly a year. I think it was like 350 days, almost a full year to get to 2,000 listens. The second 2,000 listens to take me to f- the 4,000 that we hit this weekend, 150 days, less than half the time to get to that second 2,000. I know, in the, again, in the grand scheme of things, that's probably not a lot, but to see that kind of incremental growth, the speed of people listening to it and consuming it, that's exciting. I'm, I'm jacked up about that. And my other point that I wanted to make in this intro before we dive into this week's guest is obviously I I assume most of the listeners here watched or are aware of the fact that the Super Bowl took place this weekend and my guy, my former guy, Tom Brady winning his seventh Super Bowl. And there's probably a lot of lessons to be learned from Tom Brady about success and yada, yada, yada. It makes me sad that he doesn't play for patriots anymore so I don't want to get too far into it but I think the the ultimate Tom Brady lesson that I'm applying to this podcast is consistency the guy has been able to do it at an exceptionally high level aside from really one season of injuries hasn't missed much missed much playing time he just shows up and performs and I don't know if I'll ever have a 20 plus year career with the equivalent of seven Super Bowls in the podcasting world, but if there's any lesson to growing this thing and to get better and improve the final product, it is consistent week after week after week after week. Just got to keep doing it. So that's what I'm going to do. Going to keep plugging away at it. That's my lesson for the week, but I'm excited. I think we have an Awesome, awesome guest this week. So this is this was a little bit of a curveball. I found this week's guest. He was featured on Hypebeast. Hypebeast, big publication, huge Instagram account. And I said, Oh my god, I gotta I gotta interview this guy. His work is incredible. So the guest on this week's show, his name is Hussein Almosawi, and he is well, what i learned is it's hard to put just a singular a singular box on him he is an incredibly talented artist designer director visual effects aficionado i mean the guy product designer he does it all there's not one label that you can put on him and he he does that on purpose there are so many things that he is good at and you know we got into it in this conversation a little bit but talking about how he manages to blur the lines between all of these different creative disciplines and how that really is what you know pushes the boundaries of his work and pushes the you know where he can take his his creativity. So it he this was an unbelievable episode. I picked up on him on Hypebeast because he was designing soccer cleats and as a soccer fan I couldn't help but be attracted to that. But he's worked for the biggest brands in the world. He's designed shoes, cleats basketball sneakers for Nike, Adidas. He worked on the design of FIFA 15, um, working for EA. He's just had this incredible career working for some of the biggest brands in the world. And he's now taken those talents and opened up his own design studio called Masawi Studios. So this was an incredible conversation. I know I say this a lot, but this was one of those interviews where I feel like it was just like, rapid fire i was in the zone he was giving incredible answers the conversation is fascinating i could have talked to him for three hours without question could have asked him questions like all night and so i'm so excited to share this episode with you this week i i I won't tease it out any more than that but it is one of if not my favorite interview that i've ever done on Destination Different. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of Destination Different with Hussein Al I Hope you enjoy.
1: 3D is like an unlimited, uh, it's a world of unlimited possibilities. You can really do anything you want in it. So, so that specific piece that you're talking about, it was part of a project called Project 365. And the intent of that project was to push myself on a daily basis, every day, try to do something different and new in the world of 3D, uh, whether it's uh, fabrics, uh, particles, uh, stuff breaking up, stuff exploding, whatever. So just different techniques and different uh, aesthetics. So, so for something like that, uh, I mean, you start with properties of what a cloth is, how does it act in real life, uh, what's the bounciness of it, uh, what's the sheer level, the reflection, and so on. So all the different material properties. But then the beauty of 3D is you can take something like that and really hack the process of reality. And then you just take it to another level of imagination and creativity. And whether it's possible in real world or not, then that's something... That uh you have to find out at a later <laughs> stage. But during the creative process and the 3D part of it, you just push the boundaries and you actually try to, to challenge the the reality and and challenge the physics part of it. So mm. so that's how that came to be.
0: Gotcha. And so are you are you creating that entirely in a digital world, or is there at any point is there a piece of fabric on a table that you're sort of manipulating and photographing or moving? or is it all entirely done in sort of a yeah so, a so for the
1: So for the reality part, uh, I mean, I've looked at fabrics, I've kind of studied them uh, to some extent when I'm doing, let's say, product visualizations. And mm-hmm. you really want the, the product in 3D to look just like real life, so, so definitely. But for something like the piece that you're talking about uh, is just pure exploration. Okay. Mess, messing with the values, messing with the lights, messing with everything that you can mess with. Uh, sometimes there's different algorithms and you just try to push the boundaries, as I said. So it can be way unrealistic, but mm-hmm. uh, something cool and new.
0: Okay. I, I, wanted to, I want you to talk a little bit more about the, the Project 365, because that was actually something you did, it seems like fairly recently, and you're now, you know, a decade into your career, mm-hmm. um, you know, what inspired you to sort of take on this challenge of creating something new every day for an entire year?
1: For sure. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, the world of 3D, as I said, it's a never ending world. Like the more you learn, you you realize that you're just a, a drop in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And I mean, thanks to platforms like social media and Instagram and those kind of uh, applications when you open it up and you see what other artists are doing, what other designers are doing, it just inspires you to, to push yourself more. Like maybe I'm good at one thing, but then I'm not good at 10 other things. Mm-hmm. And I see other people doing something really amazing. So I challenge myself to, okay, how can I do something like that? How can I push for that kind of lighting, that kind of technique? And the more I I do that, the more I actually just elevate myself and my craft and my skill set. So that's the whole point of it. And of course, having fun during the whole process.
0: Gotcha. So were you, were you, you know, when you started it, were you feeling stuck in your, in your career, your creativity? Was it, was it more of an outlet to do that? Or was it, were you just like, I, you know, there's all these amazing people out there. I want to keep pushing myself to, to be better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, career-wise, I think uh, I didn't do it anything for like to get a job or anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I started my own studio and I'm pretty happy where I am. But uh, definitely to elevate and push myself. Like I got into Houdini a lot the past two years. That's the name of a program, mm-hmm. Side effects Houdini. And every time I tried to learn it, I was like, because I'm a 3D Max user. So every time I got into Houdini, which is much more complex, I would just, you know, get lazy and go back to my old habits and my yeah. comfort zone. So this time, even with this project, I really pushed myself to get out of my comfort zone do stuff that i'm not used to do something that is new something that's that even i never thought i could do so and that's the whole idea just push yourself and keep pushing you know it never ends
0: mm-hmm. was there something in that 365 days it's completed now right you've done the, the full 365
1: yep yep so the ones uh, the images on my website are the Maybe the the best visuals that I came up with, which is I think about sixty or seventy.
0: Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you: is there Is there was there one thing that stood out for you out of you know a year of creating stuff? Was there one or two pieces that that floated to the top as you were like, "Oh, these are my best work," or this is something I had you know that totally pushes the boundaries of what I thought was was initially possible?
1: Uh, I think that's for you guys to decide. Okay, but but, uh, but I'd say this uh, like. Um, a big part of my work and the stuff I've done in the past, it's always been about uh, just still frames. So just a 3D shot, not animated. Mm-hmm. But with this project, it really pushed me to, to one, start to get into animation more. Mm-hmm. And to also push myself to find ways that I can animate much faster. Because animation takes a lot of time to render. Mm-hmm. So when I got into Houdini, then I started using another render engine, which is called Redshift. And that just really allowed me to to get more creative and produce stuff much faster, which I never did in the past. So that was definitely an eye opener.
0: Gotcha. Sped up, sped up your process a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, I want to take a little bit of a step back and kind of go more so back to like your roots as a designer. And mm-hmm. what, you know, how, at what age did you start to realize? Because clearly, I think you have, you know, an incredible gift of design and an eye for design but that obviously has to start at some point. So like how, how young were you when you started getting into art and design and like start to kind of push those, those skills? Yeah.
1: Uh, so, so yeah, my, my parents, they're both, uh, I mean, uh, they, they had a side hobby of being great artists. Like they would always paint and draw stuff. So, so I think that's where all the inspiration started for me as a kid, like at home seeing their paintings and then seeing what they had produced. So, so that really maybe pushed me towards the creative side of things. Mm-hmm. And when I started maybe on the digital side, like with, it was with Photoshop, uh, when I was still in middle school,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I was doing, uh, backgrounds like desktop wallpapers for NBA players, for soccer mm-hmm. players. And it was just stuff for free. Like back then you just do them, put them online. And then we had like these wallpaper crews, different designers from around the world mm-hmm. and just purely for fun, no money involved uh and that's really where it started for me because then those wallpapers i was able to to do some projects for players like tracy mcgrady in the nba uh chauncey billups uh a few more i don't know alan iverson yeah so so that kind of became a bit more serious for me i was making a very little bit of money of, of some of the stuff I and was this doing. is
0: you're still in middle school when you when you're doing this work for these players
1: yeah i was in high school when i got my first project from these players And it was through like different design agencies that worked with the players. So I worked through the agencies. Uh, And then, yeah, that pushed me to love design even more and more. Uh, I was doing some web design. So I was like all over the place. And then I decided to do my bachelor's degree when I went to university in graphic design. Mm -hmm. And again, also when I was there, I was also designing like more stuff. I was doing a bit of stuff for Adidas uh, and then lots of other freelance projects. And then I graduated and I did my master's in industrial design. So kind of shifted from the 2d side of stuff to the 3d side of stuff. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, and yeah, I mean, that's where I kind of blurred the lines between even when I was studying, like I was, when I was doing graphic design, I was passionate about 3d and industrial. And when I was doing 3d, I was passionate about CGI. So I always had this tendency to jump from one thing to another, but I also try to not forget like, uh, my other skill sets or the stuff that i had done in the past my mm-hmm. idea was always to push and blur the lines between different fields so so yeah that's basically how i started and how i kind of moved into design
0: gotcha so i mean i i have to i'm so curious like as a you know 16 17 year old kid whatever you are at the time and you're doing you know paid work for tracy mcgrady and chauncey billups and alan iverson like what was the what was your reaction like to that and you know how does how does that inspire how did that inspire you to kind of keep going and you know what it like what are your friends saying at that point when you're like oh, oh, yeah, by I, the way yeah. i'm doing work for these guys like how does what is the reaction to that
1: no that was uh, i mean i still remember those days like sometimes i i remember i had the project for uh, Tracy McGrady once and it was through a studio called ultimate pros i don't think they exist anymore so yeah i mean it was like school night you know you had to go to bed early Uh, I would just stay late and work on it because I couldn't sleep. I was really, really into it and I was Mm -hmm. super passionate. And I mean, I had some really good friends who I'm still connected with until this day and they also really pushed me and I would always share stuff with them. They would see it like, hey, this is cool. This is, you know, you can do this or that. Mm -hmm. So I had that good circle of positivity around me, whether it was friends or family, my parents. And that's really important. uh, I think like from start to even today, always surround myself with those positive people
0: that's that's amazing um and like in those early days are you i mean i'm talking like middle school high school days are you mm-hmm. totally like self-taught at that point where you're sort of just like you know, you, you know you're you figuring things out on youtube you're kind of just messing around with photoshop trying to figure it out or are you taking classes and, and trying to learn at that way
1: yeah it was mostly i mean we didn't even have youtube back then or maybe yeah. it existed i mean at least i didn't use it back then and i'm talking about 2004 2003 mm-hmm. so yeah it was mostly just uh, magazines there was advanced photoshop magazine uh, there were wa- there were some websites like goodtutorials.com and some mm-hmm. other photoshop websites and it was just doing tutorials messing around and yeah i yeah we had like this wallpapers crew that i told you so different people doing wallpapers and we'd always share like different ideas and mm-hmm. thoughts of this technique and that technique so so, yeah, I mean, trying to to learn as much as possible without many resources. Yeah. And that's what I tell people these days. Like, you have no excuses with YouTube. Everything is on there. Everything right. like you have no excuse not to learn anything.
0: It It is incredible. And it's, it's something it's funny because I always like to ask my guests because there's so many people that I've had on this show that are like, yeah, you know, I had a little bit of formal trading. But most of what I've learned is is self-taught or exploration and, and kind of it seems like you're in the same boat where. Obviously, you have some formal training at this point of, of going to school and and working on your craft, but so much of it is like, okay, I'm gonna mess with this and see how this works together. Uh, Absolutely,
1: and I mean, to your point, uh, I think it's curiosity what really pushes you to to learn stuff and do great stuff. Like, no matter which school you go to and who who teaches you to do whatever skill set, it's not gonna be the same as you loving what or you having that passion to learn something. And trying to learn it—that's the best way that you can ever learn something, mm-hmm. in my opinion.
0: And when you were coming out of out of school, so you know, you mentioned you you got your undergrad in, in graphic design, and then you had you know kind of a master's or, or in um, industrial design. What was that transition like for you, you know, from the the student world to kind of the professional world, and how did you get that first crack? Because you've had some amazing. You know, full time gigs with with big big brands. So, like, what was that like, and how did you kind of get your foot in the door with some of those those big brands that you've worked with?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it was a. I mean, I was freelancing a lot at that point, even when I was in school. So, I I had a feel for how things were like in the real world versus university. But I did have some challenges getting uh, like the jobs, my dream jobs, because uh, I I wasn't a U.S. citizen, mm-hmm. and I still am not a U.S. citizen. So uh i finished my school and i had to go back home like getting a job wasn't as easy as, as i thought i thought i'd just yeah. graduate then you know you can apply would hire and, you. yeah <laughs> then i found out it, there's a whole process behind it uh but anyways uh so so i went back home i was freelancing i did some
0: uh and where is home forget for you again yeah sorry. sorry
1: i didn't mention that uh it's a small island called bahrain
0: gotcha okay yeah,
1: it's on the other side of the world tiny island so so yeah at that point i was just freelancing. And then I joined uh, Ogilvy in Dubai, mm-hmm. and the, which is an advertising agency. And yep. then I moved back. I, I, I came to Canada, and I did my master's in industrial design. And while I was in Canada doing my master's, I got an internship with Nike. Mm-hmm. And after my master's, I was able to stay in Canada and work. So I worked with EA Sports on a game called FIFA 15.
0: I have so many questions. So <laughs> <laughs> go for it. I, I ha, like a, an internship at Nike, I imagine that is probably one of the most sought after internships in the, in the world. Like, do, do are you getting picked up on that based on your portfolio? Like what is the kind of qualifier in the design world that says, yep, we're going to hire this kid to come design for us?
1: Yeah. I mean, until this day, I think that's like one of the, the things that i'm most proud of like just joining the nike internship mm-hmm. because nike and i'll answer your question in a second nike basically changed my mindset 180 degrees like it made me think of design way differently that design is about innovation and you know i just looked at design differently after before and after nike mm-hmm. so so yeah i think the year that i got accepted about 10,000 people had applied Jeez. and they accepted like 12 designers from what i was told and yeah, it's super complex and it goes on to just seeing your portfolio and how you present the portfolio. So it's not just really what you've done, but also how you present it. Mm-hmm. And I spent like a month just working on my portfolio presentation. Like I created a box for it, then I created a small booklet for each project, then it was mm-hmm. nicely placed in the box and so on. And I have it all documented online if anybody's interested. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and Nike had a lot of different requirements. One of the requirements was that you had to be a student. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my main intentions why I went back to become a master's student. Because I had finished school. That that door was closed. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't do my master's just for Nike, but that was one of the main reasons. And, you know, I just planned for it like two years in advance. And I had the passion, the drive. And, you know, of course, luck, it plays a big role as well. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to deny that because uh, everybody, I'm sure there's a lot of talent that also didn't get picked up, but at the end of the day they're limited to how many people they can hire.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I want to hear a little bit more too of how how Nike sort of shaped your design philosophy. Obviously, it's one of one of, if not, maybe the most iconic brand in the entire world. And so a huge, huge emphasis, I imagine, gets placed on design. So what was that experience like of working for this massive, iconic global brand and how did the you know who is leading design within an organization like that how are they influencing how you know your work is coming out and like what were you working on as as an intern at at Nike
1: sure so at Nike i was working with uh, i basically did projects with two different teams i worked with the Nike uh, retail team uh, i forgot what they're called uh, it was called the experience design team Mm-hmm. And then I was also doing work with the Nike basketball team. So I did lots of stuff uh, for Kobe Bryant uh, and yeah, I think it was mainly for Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so So the main thing with Nike was that when I when I entered, uh, first of all, it was just the positive energy. Mm-hmm. That was something that was very evident that I didn't see in my past experiences, even though it wasn't many. But there wasn't any room for negativity. So I really saw that positivity push big ideas. That was one thing. Uh, another thing was that on day one, I remember, uh, when we were having our orientation, we had Mark Mark Parker, come and speak to us. He's the, uh, now he is the past CEO of Nike. Mm -hmm. Uh, he told us that Nike was a company that was built by never bowing down to titles. And that was something that stuck with me until this day. It's like, Mm -hmm. because you're an intern, because you, you know, you you're somewhere on that hierarchy ladder. Uh, Just because there's people above you, it doesn't mean that your ideas aren't that good and doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that they can shoot you down. So so that was huge for me, just listening it uh, on day one. And then when it comes to design, uh, you know, I I always looked at design as something that looks nice and cool and aesthetically pleasing. But when I entered Nike, uh, it became all about innovation. Nike isn't even a sports company. Mm -hmm. They say we're an innovation company. So yeah, we do shoes, we do Apparel, but we're all about innovation. So, how do we approach innovation? Uh, how do we come up with good stories? It's all about storytelling. Like, this is all stuff that I had no idea about in the past. Right. Uh, what makes a good story? Uh, how do you listen to the athlete? How do you build off their insights? And it's all these small stuff that I picked up that I think really elevated me as a designer and my approach towards design.
0: That's amazing. What an, what an experience. Uh, you said something that I've actually seen. You said, um, you've said since of talking about design and you say design is, I think this is how you said it. You said the design is 50% and then the marketing of your design is the other 50%. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And obviously it it clearly, you know, worked in your, um, in your portfolio to get into the the Nike internship, but how has that played out since in some of your other work of, you know, you're an amazing designer, but how, you know, it can only take you so far. You still need to be able to, to kind of market your work.
1: For sure. Uh, And I don't think just for portfolio, like even products that we see from coming out from the biggest companies. uh, (laughs) I mean, for a designer, it might not sound that exciting, but uh, the design can look really bad, but with good marketing, it can sell. So and when I say good marketing, it's also what's the story behind it? You know, like when people are marketing a product, they really push for the story Mm -hmm. because that story is the personal connection between the consumer and the brand. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you can really do something that looks really good, super innovative, but marketing can mess up, and I guess it's not going to sell as good as you thought. Mm -hmm. So, so maybe a good way to put it is the 50 50 equation or the formula where you need good design and also you need good marketing, and together you can really come up with a killer product.
0: Gotcha, I like that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I I personally work in, in the marketing field. So it, the, the storytelling piece certainly resonates home, but it is, it is interesting of you know, the, the pack, not, not just the design of it, but how, okay, how do you package the whole story together to make it easy for sure. to understand? For and people. I'll
1: tell you something from inside the industry. Like I won't mention any company names, but <laughs> I've seen like the design team because usually they collaborate. It's like the design team and then you have the marketing team when there's any product they're working on. Mm-hmm. And I always see that tension between the, the two teams, like mm-hmm. design things like, you know, our product and marketing is going to help us out. And marketing is like our product and design is helping us out. So mm-hmm. when you see that kind of tension, it's kind of funny that everybody thinks they are the one pushing and they are the one leading, but in reality, you really need both of them to come together and just come up with something unique and nice.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, of kind of coming together and working together. So you've, obviously working at Nike, you've worked at, you know, you worked at Adidas, you've worked at EA. What has your collaboration process been, been like with the athletes that you've created products for? You know, are you having as a designer, those regular, are you having touch points with the, the athletes themselves? Like what is that, you know, relationship like?
1: So again, I think it comes back to the marketing and the design teams. Uh, from my experience, marketing definitely meets up, has more touch points with the, with the athlete or the, I mean, not necessarily the athlete, but also people surrounding the athlete. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to build the story, build the narrative, build the brief, and then the designer can come in and design. Uh, but when I was with Adidas, for example, I did meet, meet with a few players. Uh, for example, I was working on uh, James Harden's shoe mm-hmm. and I was able to meet with James Harden along with the team, of course and ask him about stuff, uh, stories, uh, pick up insights, look at him play, uh, analyze his game, talk to his friends, family, and just try to understand him as a player better, understand his game better. And sometimes the athletes would come to the headquarters, like they would do uh, sports science with, for example, look at their movements, they would look at their feet, pressure points, and try to... I mean, this data and insights, it all comes together. And then it's... uh, something for you to work off as a, as a designer.
0: Got it. Yeah. Like what, what would be an example of, of a little nugget that you picked up from an athlete that you then put into a design? Is there one that, that one that comes to mind?
1: Uh, for example, in basketball, uh, they, they look a lot, actually in all sports, but I mean, I've worked on basketball, so I can speak to that, but uh, they look at different athlete feet, athlete's feet and, You know everybody's feet; they they are shaped different. Somebody has a flat feet, somebody has a high arc, high arch. uh, So they they look at the pressure points, and every feet again is different. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's talk about James Harden. Uh, Where are his pressure points? Where does he need? Where does he contact the ground more? So when I'm designing the shoe, I'm actually building around that specific insight for James Harden, and then it gets mass produced for the market. So it could work for your feet. could not work for my feet and so on Mm -hmm. but that's like a way of picking up some insights from a specific athlete
0: gotcha that's cool have you always been super into sports and and is that like your biggest focus it seems like obviously working for nike and adidas and ea even working on fifa you know you've kind of been in the in the sports realm is that your favorite i guess industry or vertical to to work in
1: Yeah, I mean, I have two passions in life. (laughs) It's sports and design. And I think that's how it started from day one. So when I was doing those wallpapers, it was always about sports and design. How can I bring them together? Uh, If you look at my career, I mean, most of the places I've worked, like EA, Nike, Adidas, it's, again, it's always been about design and sports. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not a sneakerhead. I'm not really that much into sneakers and fashion. I'm not really (laughs) interested in it. But when it comes to if you tell me there's a basketball player or a soccer player, and I'm gonna design their boot, then I'm all in. So uh, that's really what drives me to to love designing for not just shoes, but anything that has to do with sports.
0: Yeah, like what else in the what else in the sports realm excites you? Obviously, like shoes and footwear is it seems to be the biggest retail push, the biggest thing that you know is probably the constant need for design work but are there other things in sports that you've enjoyed working on or that you would like to work on in the in the future uh
1: yeah i think uh, as you said the shoes are probably the number one thing but uh, even when i was in uh, ogilvy uh, even from an advertising standpoint like doing photo shoots with athletes uh doing marketing campaigns that's definitely something that's exciting uh if we go a bit away from the traditional sports like even i think automotive is I know it's not sports but I think there's uh, some overlap mm-hmm. but that's also something that I'm really interested in and I've designed several concept cars and I still continue to do so 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 I think that uh, feeling of action and movement and uh, it really it really drives the excitement in
0: design Gotcha okay um, switching gears a little bit I'm I'm curious you know you've had this amazing career working for these massive brands and working directly for you know adidas and nike etc what made you make the switch to kind of go into this world where you've now i think it's probably been what a year year and a half that you've opened up your own studio so what what made you make that decision to kind of go and, and start your own thing
1: yeah i mean it was my it was my dream job to to ever work for a company like nike or adidas and it wasn't that easy for me to leave so my last job i was a senior designer at adidas and i think i think the thing is that every time you reach a goal in life uh, that you set for yourself the moment you tell yourself that you made it that's the moment that you fail Mm -hmm. and i I really live by that so uh when i was in adidas i i saw the limits i I saw that i achieved something and i'm sure it would have been good to say more But uh, I saw the potential of leaving and I was able to see that I would would be able to work with different brands, multiple brands within sports, outside of sports. So I think it's just that entrepreneurship uh, drive inside of me that wanted me to to go solo and build something for myself and Mm -hmm. build a brand name. So, I mean, even when I was in Adidas, we always discussed this with some of the friends that at the end of the day, you're just a number and a brand. I mean, Mm -hmm. no matter what the brand is and how good it is. You're just a number. Like the day I leave, I don't think anybody's going to care. No no matter how good you are. Somebody else is going to come who's just as good. So, and that's cool, like experience-wise that you get to work for a brand. But if you start something from scratch and you grow it day by day, year by year, the joy that that you get just seeing that growth and even the learning curve, you know, the mistakes you do, Mm -hmm. uh, the stuff that you do that is correct that just really adds a lot, a lot, a lot more of joy instead of being within a brand where sometimes you don't even get any recognition. Mm-hmm. Regardless, even like, don't even think about the egos, the politics and all that stuff that you see within companies. When you're on your own, you you decide what to do. So I think that's really what drove me in that direction.
0: Gotcha. That's, I love that. Um, what has What has been, I guess, the biggest the biggest challenge or obstacle for you in starting your own studio and going out on your own, I imagine there's a lot of security and comfort and stability that comes with working for a big brand. And then you've now kind of, you know, done a full 180 and you're out on your own. So what's been some of the big, the big hurdles that you've had to overcome in in starting um, your own studio?
1: Yeah. I I think a lot of people say that, like when you leave, okay, you have the security and the salary, but, (laughs) but, but the money you can make on your own, It's, it's uh, you can't compare it to what you make as a salary, like no matter what Mm -hmm. the security is. Like when you leave and you start to to work on your own and you start to build a brand and connections, you realize that the salaries are just a joke within the industries. I mean, I'm not speaking for all companies, but I'm pretty aware of different salaries in different companies, but it's really a joke compared to somebody's true potential. And I always Mm -hmm. told my friends that, like if you leave, you can make much more money because, you know, your value is much more than, the role that you're stuck in because mm-hmm. let's say I'm a senior designer and you're a design director or a creative director, or whatever, you're just above me. I'm never going to get more money than you. Mm-hmm. That's just, you know, like it's, it's relative. The more you go up, the more I go up and I'm stuck and I'm bound by, by you and the other people who are above me. Yeah. So so what was the, what was the question?
0: <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think, I guess what has been the biggest struggle for you in, in kind of going out okay, and doing Sorry. I went off a tangent. Okay, no, 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 sorry. that's great. <laughs> Uh, I mean, when I started September
1: 2019, that's when I launched my studio. Uh, of course, lots of planning and lots of uh, targets that I had set for myself. But then COVID came.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: started really well. I think COVID was the, the biggest hurdle. And maybe around March, maybe m- around March for two three months, it was pretty vague in terms of what's, what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think that was also a really good opportunity because it it pushed me and allowed me to to, to come up with a different plan, a different strategy. And the outcome was even much better. Like, okay, what are the, uh, like how, how can you use COVID to your, to, uh, to, uh,
0: well, how do you say it to your, to your advantage,
1: to your advantage. Exactly. So, I mean, everybody is working from home. So maybe that's an advantage. Lots of companies want to outsource more. So I just changed my plan, my strategy, and I ended up even doing much better than I had expected. So, uh, so that's one thing, COVID, uh, another thing is maybe, uh, coming up with good talent. So the more I've been growing and the more I've been uh, getting clients, uh, just building a strong team around myself mm-hmm. and it takes some time to, to, you know, try people out <clears throat> and see what kind of, uh, talent you want to bring on board and start to collaborate with. So I think it's just a matter of time, but yeah. it's not really big hurdles or stuff that will stop you.
0: Gotcha. So not, so nothing's been, you know, it's been relatively smooth sailing up until this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are months that are better than others if you're talking financially, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, like one month will cover up for other months. So it all balances out.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And, and what, I guess, like, you know, what, what clients are you starting to take on and are you still working in the, in the sports space? Are there opportunities that you're finding you know, outside of kind of your, your prior experience that you're, you're finding now that you're out on your own?
1: Uh, yeah, so of course, when I first left, uh, one of the biggest clients I had was Nike, again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can never say no to Nike. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I mean, I've been working with a lot of uh, small startups, whether it's in footwear or other brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been working with automotive, so I did some stuff for... General Motors, I did some stuff for Ford, and I'm still doing some stuff for Ford, did some stuff for Samsung, LG, and when I say some stuff, I mean, uh, they're a client that I have, and I'm doing like ongoing stuff with them, but that was when I first started out, so those were maybe one of my first clients to begin with, and and yeah, I mean, I'm open to working with clients outside of sports. I think it's actually, it's a very good thing Mm -hmm. where it keeps you fresh. And it doesn't make you feel like you're stuck in a bubble. So absolutely.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, to kind of to piggyback off of that a little bit, like, is there is there an industry or a, a brand that you're, you know, you're kind of like, oh, wow, I would love to go and work on X thing or I would love to design for this? Like, are there are there? Things like that that now that you're out on your own you're you're saying to yourself, okay I, I want to push to to this space
1: uh, I think automotive I'm not going to mention any names because yeah. because maybe I want one brand and another brand comes so mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think automotive is definitely something that I'm super excited about, uh, whether it's uh, cars, whether it's bikes, so that's stuff that I've done in the past, but I'm really passionate to do it uh, with some of the bigger brands now, so cool. And I'm pushing hopefully in that space soon.
0: Is there, you know, in your, as you started this studio, like, is it more that you're reaching out to folks or is it, is it sort of your reputation, reputation precedes you and people kind of are aware of, of you and what you're doing and, and reach out to you directly? Like, are you having to do a lot of marketing for your own company?
1: Not much, really not much. Uh, I think the best marketing has been just posting stuff on social media and LinkedIn mm-hmm. And LinkedIn honestly has been an amazing platform and I think it's not that saturated yet. So definitely Mm -hmm. I suggest that to anyone who's looking to get projects. And I don't mean like go like message people because I get a lot of spam.
0: Yeah, (laughs) a lot uh, of spam. Just
1: just post your work and people will notice it. And I think that's how I'm getting most of my projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, That plus word of mouth. Like I did a project for, let's say for Nike and then somebody at Nike knows somebody at let's say at Tesla and Mm -hmm. then, you know, they tell them and then so on. So as long as you're doing good work and the client is happy, it's just going to be word of mouth. That's going to be your strongest tool.
0: Yeah. I'm so curious because you, you know, looking at your website, your list of articles that have been written at you, your number of features are like insane. Have (laughs) you ever put any sort of, you know, attention or emphasis on like getting PR for yourself or is it strictly you share your work out into the world and it's amazing work. So people are interested in it and want to share.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just been sharing work and, you know, sometimes uh, getting noticed. And and the thing is that if one website posts it, like I, I recently got a feature with Beast, mm-hmm. and then you get like a hundred different websites that post, you know, trickles down. So, so if those big websites notice you, then it's a much easier thing to, to get noticed. That's one thing. And then the other thing is, uh, let's say, uh, for example, there's a website called Yanko Design. Uh, they do industrial design features, and so, mm-hmm. uh, so if they feature you like once or twice, then you're kind of on their watch list. Mm-hmm. Every time you do something cool, then they will they will share it themselves. So, so yeah, I guess just keep doing good work and posting it online.
0: Gotcha. What like what is your approach to? Maybe it's a two part question. What is your par- approach to balancing? Work that's for clients, you know. Work that's for work, and then work that's for fun and for you. Obviously, you did the the project 365, but how do you how do you divide that split of like fun work and work that like needs to be done to pay the bills?
1: Yeah, I think it's like yin and yang, you know. Like uh, you have to do both, uh, at least for me, in order to stay fresh. Uh, client work is good, but sometimes there can be like crazy amounts of revisions. It can get hectic sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and you you don't always drive the direction for the client work because at the end of the day, they want what they also envision. Yeah. But with what uh, I'm doing on the concept conceptual side of stuff, you know, I can just have fun. Sometimes it's not even what I had expected. Like I wanted to do something and then I was messing with the values. Maybe something else came out. And then I'm like, okay, then let's do this and that and that. So there's so much more flexibility and freedom. And it's the conceptual work that really drives the Uh, the client work I think because Mm. uh, you just become a stronger designer your skill sets your craft and the stronger you become there and then you can just feed that into the client work
0: do you ever have stuff that you've made for fun just on on the side that a client comes to you and says oh I want something like that does that ever happen I was
1: just going to mention that yeah (laughs) so so that's another thing like it doesn't go to waste like a lot of the times they would sorry they would see the conceptual work and then they would be like, oh, actually working on a campaign that looks just like this. Mm-hmm. This happened to me with Nike in 2013. So they were doing uh, a project for Flyknit, which is an innovation they have mm-hmm. for the World Cup, World Cup 2014 in Brazil. So so I had posted like a soccer ball made out of thread and I didn't even have Flyknit in mind. I was just doing a technique mm-hmm. and just because I love soccer and it had like a swoosh on it. So... So, yeah, they saw it. They emailed me and like, hey, do you want to work on this project? So I went there and I worked with them in the headquarters mm-hmm. Just from, from something that I did maybe in half an hour, you know, so. <laughs>
0: it's amazing how that works. Some serendipity. Um, <laughs> I, I want to hear a little bit about your just creative process in general. You know, I read <clears throat> I read something that that you like to kind of start almost at the end and then work backwards and kind of fill in the pieces. And it sounds like there is some just serendipity in your work too, where you'll be messing around with something. And you said something else comes out. So what does that, you know, creative process look like for you? Like, is there, okay, I'm going to sit down on my computer and create X or how, do, how does that, I guess, go for, for you in, in creating a, a new design?
1: Yeah, I think it's really about being fluid. Like I can tell you it's like one, two, three, four, five, and that's it but it never really works that way for me, at least. I know there are designers who have that strict process. Uh, sometimes, as you said, like I would really mess around. I want to go from point A to point B, but I find myself on point C, which really changes the, what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But then I, I build the story around it. Like, hey, okay, we created this thing in point C, which looks more innovative, it's more cool. So maybe the story is about, uh, uh, for example, I'll give you an example. So I was playing around with particles in Houdini mm-hmm. and I wanted to create something. It didn't work out. And then I created something totally different and it, it, it felt like a very calming sensation and that wasn't what I wanted to create. Mm-hmm. So then I called it the art of calm. So if somebody sees it, they, they would think that, you know, I had a mood board with stuff that looked calm with calm music yeah. and that was the mood that I was in. But that's not the reality. The reality is that I, I created something. I created a mood. I created an emotion, a vibe. And then I built my story around that. I packaged it. I gave it a title. I put some music on it. And and that's, that ended up as being the art of calm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't always work with, like, you, you set the initial plan and then you you finish off on the same path. At yeah. least for concepts.
0: Okay. To, to build on that, like, do you have is there, is there a note-taking process? Do you have sketchbooks? Like what is sort of your, you know, writing down or or keeping track of inspiration when you're out in the world? Because it seems like a lot of what you draw on is things that happen in real life that you then take and morph into these different worlds. So, you know, what is your, what is your process like of, of actually keeping track of these ideas and at least having a starting point to, to build from?
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't really have I don't really have a sketchbook. <laughs> uh, I I have one, but it doesn't have any sketches. So okay, <laughs> <laughs> I do have one though. <laughs> uh, I I like to mess around a lot in 3D and in the computer. So if I see something that I like, like I call it 3D sketching, I open my 3D program mm-hmm. and I start to just mess around and I do like 20 different variations, for example. And that's my way of finding how something can work. That's my way of seeing what looks cool, what doesn't look cool. And in terms of finding inspiration, like I think you should always be a sponge, uh, whatever you are, you know, maybe you're Mm -hmm. traveling, you have a book, you have a sketchbook, you don't have a sketchbook, uh, whether you're online, whatever you're doing, I think you should always be a sponge Mm -hmm. and just absorb as much as you can. So it can be just stuff on your phone, you know, taking pictures of stuff, uh, saving stuff on Pinterest. Uh, I mean, it can be any form of, keeping the stuff that you like, even saving stuff on Instagram Mm -hmm. for me, that's really just the the way that I, I save the stuff that I like and I keep track of them.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was, I'm, I'm always curious where creatives draw other creative inspiration from. Um, Are there, are there other designers, artists, directors that you look up to or that you, you know, that particularly kind of have inspired your work?
1: Uh, I mean, with the world of Instagram, it's really hard for me to say one person.
0: Yeah. Because
1: there's just, I mean, there's so much talent these days. I've seen amazing work from kids that are maybe just 18 or 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Nobody's heard of them, 500 followers. And, you know, I'm saving their works like, oh, super sick. And then I, I'm in touch with them. Mm-hmm. So, and I've, and of course you have designers that are, have like 200,000 followers and they also do amazing work. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's just being open to, you know, uh, open to looking at everybody's work, and getting inspiration from everybody versus mm-hmm. just one person or just looking up to, you know,
0: just looking in one
1: direction. I think that's the best way to go.
0: This this is kind of random, but have you have you done any hiring for your your new studio directly off of Instagram? Like, has 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 that happened yet?
1: So let me think. We have one, two.
0: Yeah. So I'm working with about five people and four out of five were from Instagram. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> and that you had just built relationships over time and, and kind yeah, of got absolutely. to chatting. And You know,
1: they, they, we're just uh, brothers and friends, you know, we work together now. So, mm-hmm. so
0: that's how it goes. That's too funny. Um, okay. So I just have a couple more questions for you. I don't want to take up, take up too much of your time. Um, is there a a favorite project over the years you know you've now been designing shoes for athletes you've worked on video games you've you worked at an electric bike company you know you've done kind of all these amazing projects that actually become tangible things in the real world is there anything that stands out as like a, a favorite or proudest piece of creative that you've worked on
1: Uh, I'd say there are a few but if I would highlight one uh, and this one won't be a project that was uh, that hit the market and I would say that was that would be the end cycle Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: the end cycle I've said the story before uh, it was a project that was meant to be a two-week project between me and my friend Marine Miftio he's an architect Mm -hmm. Uh, and we've been working together for more than 10 years now so this was supposed to be a fun two-week project, just concept, just some sketches, and that's it. And then that two-week project became a two-month project. Then it became a one-year project. Mm-hmm. And then we partnered up with uh, NCS Lab in Italy, uh, which is a professional prototyping company. Mm-hmm. And they, we partnered up with them, and they created a real prototype bike, which cost like 90,000 euros. And then we went to the Eurobike. We partnered up with Continental. So there was always this kind of growth and this hype around the bike. And it was shared on, I think, every magazine or every blog that you can think of. And, and the reason I like that project was because of the, the team that I had around me. Uh, Marine mm-hmm. was one guy. Uh, Marcelo Fantusi, who's the owner of uh, NCS Lab. He's another guy. And, you know, we were just pushing each other and really pushing creative boundaries. And it was pure positivity all the time. And I felt like we left an impact on the automotive industry with mm-hmm. that bike. So, so for me, I think that's one that I'm really proud of, and I'm really happy of until this day, and it's still going around in different museums and diff- different trade shows just as a as a show bike.
0: That's cool. Um, okay, next question. Again, totally changing gears here, but what did what did you know growing up in in Bahrain, and how did that influence your you know, view of design how did that influence your creativity um you know what did your sort of your upbringing how did how did that play into your your creative and your style today
1: uh i think the number one thing about me being from bahrain was that you know it's a tiny island <laughs> on the other side of the world that nobody knows anything about mm-hmm. but i always i always had this uh, dream of you know joining nike joining Uh, Adidas even like I was thinking one day I want to join Disney Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was like just big dreams so for me it was all about dreaming big and impossible is nothing and it was just one step after the other and finding the the right mentors along the way having the support from my family my parents as I said super supportive from day one until this day like when I'm giving talks in different workshops or conferences my dad is still always coming with me so just having that you know that you have somebody behind your back and somebody's pushing you. Uh, I think that really helped me a lot. So so coming from Bahrain, dreaming big, going into these big companies, uh, working on different products for su- superstar athletes. For me, it was all about just, you know, dream big, don't give up. What's my, big goal, my next big goal? And it's not going to be impossible. If I did this, I can do that as well.
0: is a wrap on this week's episode of Destination Different. Massive thanks to Hussein for joining me on the show this week. He he is just an in- interesting guy. I mean, I, I'm so excited. Obviously, this is just an, there's an, this is an audio. You're just listening to me. You're hearing him talk about a lot of visual mediums. I'm so excited to share some of his work on Instagram and on Twitter because he is wildly talented like almost mind-blowing some of the things that he is capable of producing and so that he has produced in his lifetime like I just can't even begin to describe how talented he really is so thank you to Hussein for joining me on this week's show like I said at the top it is one of if not my favorite interview that I've ever done in the history of this show other than that my only little housekeeping items for this week is that i'm giving out haikus i know i've been i know i've said this maybe in the last couple episodes but every new follower on instagram today is getting custom haikus in their dms they're so ridiculous they are so silly it and just fun i don't know i'm having a great time writing them uh And it seems like people are enjoying getting their haikus when they follow the Destination Different account on Instagram. So if you're not already, pop on over and make sure you give a a follow to Destination Different. That's it. That's all we got for this week. We will be back again next week, next Wednesday with another episode of Destination Different. Until then, stay weird.
1: We fell in love for just a couple hours I can't tell the difference between what's fake and what's been missing Often i misunderstood, so I'm looking for a better me This is your love song, baby I hope that you know the words This is your love song, baby know what you were Oh, 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 oh We wow. should